So I have a question for you today. Here's a question we're going to start with. What causes quarrels or disputes in your life? What are the things, just start saying it. No, don't. What are the things that, it, when you look in your life, what, are, what is the source of quarrels or fighting, arguments, disputes around you? Maybe we're talking about the disputes that happen maybe in the workplace with coworkers. Perhaps it's in your marriage, in your neighborhood, or even perhaps in your church. What are the quarrels? What is the root of those? I know it can sometimes be really small things. Um, I, I want to know um, who the competitive people are out there. So if you're, who can put their hand up fastest? Who's the most competitive people out there? Yeah. <laughs> Actually, Devin, you were close, but, so, but you, you got beat. You got beat, so. <laughs> yeah, I, I just knew all the competitive people were already, yeah, they were ready to go. So sometimes, um, so being a competitive person can sometimes cause some quarrels and disputes too, right? I, 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 and I like to think, my wife and I, were really competitive, but here's the thing, like, I don't care if I lose, it's just, I'm going to do everything I can to win. All right, does that make sense? So, but I don't care if I'll lose, um, I'm not that competitive, um, but I'm not going to lose. So um, even when I play basketball in this lunch league that I play at, I, you would think that when we're out there at lunchtime trying to get exercise during the workday, that it was like game seven of the NBA finals, the way sometimes it gets down to the last, you know, play or, or whatever, and if it's a close score, just how competitive we get. And there has been a few quarrels on the court. I will just say that. I, I've seen some. So, and uh, only once or twice have there actually been an uh, actual fight that broke out, and it wasn't with me. So, but, um, you know, because it really matters if you win that lunchtime game. It really matters. But some of us, if you, if you think of what can cause quarrels, I was thinking back through my whole life and, and um, on, on some of the fun things that sometimes this disputes come up, and there's one thing that, it, w it was a board game that, for me, was part of my life that maybe some of you know, okay, Risk. Yeah, some of you groaned because you're like, I hate that game. That game sat on the table for like three days as you try to make world domination, as you go march across the globe to dominate the globe. Risk. This board is not as easy to fold as the others. So, Risk. Yes, this is a game we played growing up as a family where you get to take over the world. What, is, what could cause any conflict there? <laughs> Especially when it has to do with rolling the dice. As much as any strategy, sometimes it's just, are you kidding me? I have a hundred armies, you have two. Why did you beat me? Why can I not roll a higher number than you? If you've never played this game, let me just give you pastoral advice. Don't get into it. There's no reason to put your life through that. Or in my case, put your wife through that, maybe. <laughs> yes, risk is this, this game where you're trying to take over. And, and I remember growing up, there were times when people would just, would, would be ready to take the board like this and flip it. Because how, how can the dice determine whether I control the world. Uh, here's a true story about another board game. I was a youth pastor, and this family invited me over. They wanted to introduce me to this game called Scotland Yard. And uh, Scotland Yard is a strategic game, and it's where you, one person is, is the thief, and then there's five police. And they say, no one can ever, if you're the thief, you'll never win this game. But, but you've got to see how far you can get. So they invited me over, 
And they said, you're going to be the first thief and see if you can win, but no one's ever won. And they started putting betting odds on the table. I'm, this is like a dad and his family with the kids in my youth group. They said, we think you'll lose in three moves. We think you'll move. And they put the odds up there, and they all bet on how fast they're going to, I'm going to lose. I won. I beat the game. I literally won, and you could see them start to go, what is going on here? So I won. That was it. They said, okay, that was lucky. That will never happen again. They invited me about two months later. We went to play. And they said, you're not going to win again. We got to the end. I don't know how. And I play this game a lot of times. I haven't won many times. I won again. The dad got up from the table, good friend of ours. He didn't say a word. He said, I'm done. I'm leaving. And he just left. (laughs) Game night over. (laughs) There was no conflict, but we haven't seen them in 15 years. So... The kids went to a new youth group. It was, I don't know. It's funny how sometimes these superficial things that can cause this conflict, and even we, we, when you're competitive and you're trying not to make it a big deal, but it can get so deeply rooted. So what about the things that actually matter? What about those things that actually matter that cause conflict in our lives? And today we're going to continue our series in the book of James. And in James chapter 4 is where we're going to be today. So I want to invite you to open your Bibles there. And if you're new to the Bible, it's near almost in the very back. There's a book called James. And we're in chapter 4. And what James is going to deal with for these six verses that we look at today is kind of that inner struggle in us. And what is it that produces conflict? and quarrels in our lives. And we're going to look to the truth of Scripture to determine, can we recognize and have some introspection today that will help us in our relationships? So turn with me, and as you go there, uh, we're going to pray for this morning. God, we thank you so much. Dear God of grace and mercy, we thank you that we don't have to always get this Christian life right. That when we stumble, when we fall, when we fall short of who you are, that we fall on your grace. And we're still loved and forgiven and accepted by you. Your spirit's still alive in us. Lord, we also thank you that you give us grace to live this life you've called us to. That you give us all that we need for a life of godliness. And so, Lord, today, would you allow us to examine our own hearts and be transformed by you. So we thank you and give you this time in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, James chapter 4, I'm going to read all six verses that we're going to go over today, and then we'll back up, and we're going to look at, there's two tensions that we want to deal with today from this passage. So first, let's read these six verses all together, or I'll read it for you all at once. It says this, what is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your body's parts? You lust, you don't have, you commit, so you commit murder. You're envious, you cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. You don't have because you do not ask, and you ask and you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives, so that you may spend what you request on your pleasures. You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility towards God? Therefore, whoever wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that Scripture says to no purpose that he jealously desires a spirit whom he's made to dwell in us? But he gives us even a greater grace. Therefore, Scripture says God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So as we look at those verses today, 
It starts with this question that James asks. It's, what causes fights and quarrels among you? What causes the fights and quarrels among you? Some of your translations might even have wars and conflicts among you. That first word can, can have to do with some external conflict with others, and one is maybe more of an internal, interpersonal type conflict. But that's the question that James wants to address. Now, he's probably addressing it because as he looks at the church, the Christians that he's writing to, he's probably noticing there's fights and quarrels among them. And so he's asking them this question, what is it, why do you think that there's conflict among you? And he goes on in verse 1, he says, don't these come from your desires that battle within you? So ultimately what he says is when we want to examine the source of conflicts and fights, we're going to find it somewhere around the desires that battle within us. The desires that battle within us. And, and by the way, we're mostly today talking about the conflicts that maybe come from us that we need to, to examine our own lives, but this is not dealing only, there are times we do confront others. This is not saying avoid conflict at all costs. But it's saying if you tend to find conflicts and fights coming from you a lot, we want to do the work of examining where is that coming from? And James says it's coming, often these are coming from this place, there's desires within you that are battling within your own life. We were talking this week as a team, we have a teaching team that studies the passages together and we, we try to process and say how can we, uh, what do we need to teach the congregation, what are some different insights that we get from this. So we were talking about this idea and we said in, in the last two and a half years, can we think of any example of conflict? And, and we couldn't. So... Um, If you think of the, you know, the last two and a half years, uh, obviously it, it's becoming almost too easy as a pastor to use that as an example, but it's still very relevant to us, is it not? And, and so if we think of just the season of COVID, and all of a sudden we were having conflicts that I, I could not have predicted would be arguments if you asked me three years ago. If you said, do you think you'll ever have a debate about masks or no masks? I mean, would that have made any sense? I would say, what is it? Are we talking about a Halloween party? What are we talking about? Mask or no mask? What do you mean? Are we talking about, do you think that we should be six feet apart? Or should, how long should we isolate from one another? I, I would have been like, what are, we, what are we arguing about again? And, and so in the last couple of years, we've had these debates about, should you, uh, do I have to wear a mask or can I have freedom? And then, then we had debates about racial tensions. And then, we, then there's this debate about, well, we should get rid of the police or defund the police. Like three years ago, I, I would think, what do you, what's the debate again? And, and so all of these things came up. They were new. And, and we all felt it. Would you agree? And if you didn't, tell me where you lived. I want to go there. So the season of COVID that I, I'm, I'm, I declared it over about a year ago. <laughs> I think it, now we're through it. But as I look back, I, I'm going to share a little bit of some insight. And this is to tell you, this is how I saw it and how I tried to process through it. I think it's, we're far enough. It's not too soon anymore, right? I can say this. Um, and I'm not saying that my, my perspective was the right one and the only one, okay? Please understand, this is, this is trying to help you in, insight into my life. 
But this is how, when COVID first hit, here, here, this was my attitude. Don't, you can judge me or whatever it was. Let's just get through this. Like, I, I'm not afraid of this. Let's just, I don't care. Let's just live our lives and do what we normally do. And if you feel more comfortable wearing a mask, wear a mask. If you don't, if you want to stay home, stay home. But just, let's just live our life, okay? Let me just do my thing. And I wasn't afraid to be with my family or extended family or neighbors. It was like, it was okay. Now, I'm, I'm feeling, feeling you, you're putting me in a label right now, okay? But, now that's how I felt. But I also felt, felt that, I was wrestling constantly with, but I'm a witness for Christ. And as a church, we really took this approach of how do we be a good witness in a world that's filled with fear and that has a perspective, and there's a lot we don't know. And we're in a city that tends to think a di- you know, one way on this issue, kind of a, a little more extreme in some ways. And so I said, okay, my approach, though, is if the rules to wear a mask, I'll wear a mask. I'm not going to fight it. I'm not going to pick on the person who's a cashier at the grocery store and say, this is my right. I don't have to. It was, I'm going to just, what you're asking me to do, I'll do it. But I didn't always like it. I will say that. There were days when, I remember I was on a flight and it was, I had a, I was visiting my son up in Montana, so I had to change planes in Seattle. So I had my first flight to Seattle, then over to Bozeman. Then I went from Bozeman to Seattle, and I'm coming back home. I was wearing the same mask I had worn now for three flights. I get on the fourth one, and the flight attendant comes up to me and starts almost yelling at me like, what's wrong with you? You can't wear that. And, and thinking that I'm there to, to prove a point or to fight. And I'm like, but I've, I've, I've worn this for three flights. Well, we changed the rules. And I said, you changed them in the last half hour? Like, and, and, and everything in me, confession, okay? This is confession. I wanted to pull it down and say, and just spray COVID everywhere. That's what I wanted to do. (laughs) I didn't. (laughs) And I had another mask. I said, no, fine, I'll put on the other one and put it on. And, 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 but it was that moment where I'm like, I'm about to break because I'm trying, and I don't think this makes sense, and I'm looking at a sign that says we filter out 99.99% of all, I'm like, great, then we're safe, right? But I was so, and, and, and so I was like, no, this is not the witness, but I will tell you, I gave some people some pretty good eye rolls <laughs> during that season. I went, okay. Probably some sarcastic comments underneath my mask, I'm just confessing. Please come next week. We, want, we still want you. But my heart was I wanted to understand and be gracious because I know that everyone, people have different perspectives. I know that. And I was okay with it. Within our own family, we had the extremes. We had the extremes that said, I'll, I'll put COVID in my mouth right now. And we had the other extreme that just said, hey, we're just not comfortable seeing you guys for a while, and it was okay. But the internal conflict within was, uh, there's times when it's just like, okay, enough, I wanna fight now. And I was the only one at Seacoast who felt this way. So, <laughs> in the last couple years, I've had people who said that we're a pawn of the government. Other pastors in other churches said, oh, you, anyone who's, Following any rules, you don't believe in Jesus and you're a pawn of the government and you are a tool of Satan. That's my label I got on me. 
Had people say that you don't love your country? Had people leave to churches that said we're going to fight and not wear masks? Would people leave and go to churches who said we're not going to be as cavalier as you are at Seacoast? We had it all. It was kind of a hard couple of years. Difficult couple of years. Across our country, right now, the latest statistics, our church worship attendance for Christian churches is 30% lower today than it was in February 2020. 30%. Not talking about one church across the board. There are some churches that are bigger. There are some churches that are smaller. But 30% fewer people are attending worship gatherings today than they were two and a half years ago. The latest report is 42% of people working in churches are considering quitting ministry altogether. The most recent. 42%. A couple years of conflict has gotten people to say, is this even worth it? I was talking to a friend just a week ago, and he said, I think if I ever leave my current position and go to another one, I'm not sure I want to go to another church. (laughs) So Christians have felt the brunt of the last two and a half years, and the witness even for Christ has been affected. So when I come to a passage like this and says, what causes quarrels among you? I'm looking at that and thinking, okay, how can I find my peace in this? And how can we all have some introspection and say, what are those moments when you just, you feel like wanting to fight? And what's at war within us? So we want to look at this and unpack it a little bit and deal with a couple of tensions. So verse 2, let's look back now. So he starts off and said, it's the battles within you. It's the things that you're desiring that are battling within you. And goes on and says this, you desire but you do not have, so you kill. You covet but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You don't have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you don't receive because you're asking with the wrong motives so that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Now, I don't think many of us actually don't get what we want so we go and kill. (laughs) That's not necessarily something that we are doing here. And so I was thinking back, what is this alluding to? And there's there's a couple places in Scripture where I think he's alluding to. The first is this, all the way back in the beginning of Scripture in Genesis chapter 4. There's this story about two brothers named Cain and Abel. And Cain was a farmer, so he produced vegetation. Abel was a herdsman, a shepherd, and so he had animals. They each presented an offering to God. Abel took uh, the firstborn of his flock and the choicest, fattiest animal and present it to God as a sacrifice. So it cost him something. So he sacrificed to God. It says that Cain just brought some of his produce as an offering to God. It doesn't say anything unique about it. And, and God looked on favor on Abel's offering of the first of all he had, the best of what he had, and he didn't look on favor with Cain's. Now, it's not because Cain brought him vegetables. It's because Abel brought the best. He made a sacrifice, and Cain brought him the leftovers. He brought him the stuff that he didn't want. He brought God the kale. And he said, (laughs) I'm not going to eat this. I'll give it to the Lord. So so there was this this offering, and God said, I don't even like kale. That 
that was part of the curse of the ground, and you guys made it into food, and, and so... So they had this, they brought this, and so Abel, was, his offering was accepted and Cain's wasn't, and Cain had resentment within him. So much so that then what he did is he takes his brother out to the field and he murdered, he kills his brother because he wanted what he had. His desire was, well, if I would have brought, yeah, if I had cows, if I had sheep to sacrifice, then God would have liked mine. I'm stuck here with, with beans and beets, and God, of course God's not going to like this. So he envied, and then he killed. So I think as James is referring back to you envy, you want something you don't have, and so you kill, obviously that does, that's not the normal pattern. But what happens in our hearts when we envy or when we think something's unfair is we do something inside that Jesus actually would say this. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, you've been told not to murder, but if you look on your brother or sister with hate in your heart, you've already murdered him. You've already killed. So I wonder in the last two and a half years, how many of our brothers and sisters in Christ have we shot at in the last couple of years? How many times did we say, oh, I'm done with you because I don't agree or I just don't understand you or whatever? And so we have not, and so then we envy, and maybe what we envy is we just say, I envy my own position better than yours, and so I kill you. Not physically. And then James goes on and he says, and, and, and you don't have because you don't ask, which is kind of interesting here, right? Because when you ask, you don't receive because you ask with the wrong motives that you can spend. And the word there, spend, can be to waste uh, or to incur a cost. But you take that and it will cost you something. You're just going to waste it on your own pleasures. And what James is really referring to here is you, you look at it and you say, well, I did ask God. In the last two years, you know what I ask God often? Lord, would you just end COVID? <laughs> Didn't we all pray that prayer? Lord, would you just unite our church? God, would you protect everyone around us? Would you just let life get back to normal? It's for all of us. It's not for me. I'm not going to spend it on myself. I want it for everyone. So what is it that we're asking for we're not getting? And I think the clue is really in the rest of this book of James that we've looked at. All the way back in James chapter 1 where he says, if you don't have wisdom, ask God for it and he'll give it to you. Last week in James chapter 3, the whole message was about asking for heavenly wisdom that will guide our lives and help us process through these difficult situations. And so we have not because we ask not, but we're asking for the wrong thing. James has been reminding us and telling us we need to be asking God for direction, for his wisdom, for wisdom from above to navigate these seasons. So what we find is this is the, the first tension that we see in this text here, and it's the tension is actually earthly wisdom versus godly wisdom. That's what we're dealing with. It's this tension of, are, are we seeking wisdom that will truly bring healing in, in our relationships and stability, or are we seeking earthly or worldly wisdom? And, and worldly wisdom in, in this idea of what James has been saying since chapter 3 is worldly wisdom produces motives 
that may produce quarrels. Now, let me make a quick note. This doesn't mean that there's no wisdom outside of church or Christians or the Bible that's like all wisdom, if it's not from a Christian, is bad wisdom. That's not what I'm saying. And that's not what James is saying. But what we find is a lot of the great wisdom that comes from the world is actually rooted in scriptural and biblical principles. This week, I started looking like, what's advice for life? And there's some good advice. There's advice about learn to be more gracious. Practice kindness with others. Uh, Don't be a loner. (laughs) Bring other people into your life. These are good things. Some of the advice that was given from the world. So, but when, when does earthly wisdom become unhealthy? When there's the other wisdom that I found this week, stuff that says this. Always do what is best for you. Now, there are times when doing what is best for you does work out and doesn't necessarily harm others, but there's a lot of times that that can produce motives within you that may lead to quarrels with others. How about this? Make sure that you're, you are happy no matter what. Think about yourself first. This is some of the worldly wisdom. Do you know how destructive it, that can be to your relationships if the wisdom you receive is always think of yourself first and what makes you happy? It's so different than this wisdom from above that we looked at in the last couple weeks. So the tension that James is really bringing out is what you're asking for. I just told you what to be asking for is this wisdom from above. But you're seeking wisdom from earthly wisdom. Remember, last week, this is what James wrote in uh, chapter 3, verse 14. He says this, If you're harboring bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, don't boast about it or deny the truth, because such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but it is earthly. Verse 16, For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. So there's this wisdom that if it's all about you and what's going to bring you, get you ahead and and think about yourself first and maybe that starts to produce this bitterness or selfish ambition within you. I, what I want is I want to be comfortable. I want to go in a store and not wear a mask. I want to sit on a plane and not have to think about anyone else because this is uncomfortable to me. When we have that, it starts to produce this bitterness within us. I, I felt bitterness in the last couple of years that came up. And James in verse 17 of chapter 3 says this, But wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure. Then it's peace-loving. It's considerate. It's submissive. It's full of mercy and good fruit. It's impartial and sincere. Wow. Wow. Wisdom that comes from above is pure, it's peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy. How many uh, political commercials have you seen in the last couple weeks um, are using heavenly wisdom in their their blueprint? (laughs) Peace-loving? My family jokes because it starts off and it's like flowery music and whatever. It doesn't matter what candidate, right? Oh, Ryan Rosenbaum is the best person in the world for the people and it's happy. And then all of a sudden it goes black and white and I'll say, but <laughs> the devil. <laughs> and the music changes and, and it's not wisdom that's peace loving 
It's certainly not submissive. That says I'm willing to recognize authority, to work within the structures of the world that I have. Sincere. (laughs) I wouldn't describe many politicians as sincere. Considerate. Full of mercy. So James is saying the problem is this tension that we battle between earthly wisdom and heavenly wisdom. So what is heavenly wisdom? What's just a couple thoughts about godly wisdom? First, godly wisdom speaks to your identity and security. It starts with that. It begins with your identity and your security. Do you know how hard it is to be merciful to someone who's not going to be merciful to you? Do you know how difficult it is to say, you know what? You are more comfortable with me wearing a mask, so I'm going to wear a mask because I care about you. How many of us thought, well, you should care about me, so let me not, right? <laughs> but that, that's not, James isn't saying, yeah, this is what the other people should do, or you should, wisdom is how you respond when they do what you want. No, it's, this is about you. It's not about the other person. So godly wisdom is, begins with identity and security so you might be taken advantage of. You might have to sacrifice more than the other person. You want a healthy marriage? You have to have the attitude that isn't, I'm going to, as long as it's even, we're going to be okay. You're going to have seasons when it's not going to be even. That's called a relationship. But a healthy one is saying, but you know what? It's not about getting what I want all the time. Sometimes it's sacrificing me for you. Being full of mercy. For your good. So godly wisdom, though, is then saying, and if you think or label me because I'm living, walking the ways of the Lord, if you say, oh, well, you're just a pawn of the government or you're just whatever, I say, you know what? The truth is, I'm a child of God and I'm secure because the Holy Spirit dwells in me. And you can put all the labels you want on me, and it doesn't change who I am. Doesn't change it. It hurts. It bugs me. I want to beat you up. But it doesn't change ultimately who I am. So godly wisdom, my identity and security is rooted, it's secure. And so I can take the labels. Because it doesn't change. God God looks at me and says, I see my son Jesus in you. And you are right and holy and good. And I gave my life for you and I'm with you. And I'm for you. You know what? In a couple years, those same people, it's going to be a different issue. You can't keep running to each one. Know who you are in me. Godly wisdom begins with that, and then it's the other one. Godly wisdom is others-focused. James tells us that over and over again. It's others-focused. Godly wisdom isn't do what's best for you at all costs. It isn't. If that was it, guess what? None of us would be saved. Jesus would say, eh, cross, nah. (laughs) Don't think so. Let them find their way. So godly wisdom is others-focused. Let's go on and look at the, the, the next tension as we end our time. The next tension, he, he, verse 4, he says, You adulteresses, <laughs> that's a nice label to get, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility towards God? Therefore, whoever wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. 
Or do you think that Scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for a spirit that's caused to dwell in us? But God will give us more grace. That's why Scripture says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. But he starts and says, you adulteresses. There's friendship with the world. It, it means you're an enemy of God. The second tension we see here, the first tension was godly wisdom versus earthly wisdom. The second one is friendship with the world versus friendship with God. So what is friendship with the world? That's the question. What does it mean to be a friend of the world? It doesn't mean being friends with people who are not Christian. It doesn't mean that uh, you're a friend of the world if you don't isolate yourself and you only uh, see Christians and watch Christian movies and listen to music made by Christians. And that's not, if, if you listen to someone who's not a Christian, that doesn't mean you're a friend of the world. But what does it mean? I think there's a hint in 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 and 16. John is writing, he writes this. Do not love the world, nor the things of the world. For if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, and this is what he says, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life, that's not from the Father, but it's from the world. So friendship with the world starts with this lust of the flesh. It's saying, I want what I want to make me feel good. friendship of the world. is saying, it's about me getting what I want, feeling good. That's what, I, that's what I'm after. This is, can be destructive in our sexual relationships. Even in a marriage, this is where you can have differences, and, and one can say, but you need to please me. And, and so there's this idea sometimes, now in a marriage, I hope our desire is for one another and we want to please each other, we want to be there for each other, physically, emotionally, all of those things. But there could be times when you, when you say, you, you're not giving me what I want and so the relationship starts breaking down. We need to check ourselves. Lust of the flesh are all those things that we seek after in the world to find fulfillment. Lust of the eyes, this is where you kind of get into that envy, where you start looking around and saying, look what everyone else has and I don't. Why does, that, why does my neighbor have nicer everything? One of the reasons is because they don't have three boys. That's one of the reasons. <laughs> but you start looking at what you don't have and you start, the lust of the eyes, I want that. That person looks better. How does that, how does that person have such a perfect body and I don't? And you start looking at things and wanting them, what your eyes are filling, and it leads to envy inside. And uh, the boastful pride of life. I'm right. My people are right. My tribe is right. Everyone else, they're obviously not right. And the boastful pride of life, if only people would listen to me and my people, we'd solve the world's problems. And that's true. If you want to know the solution, ask me. I got them all. But no, we start thinking we're the right ones all the time. Now, when it comes to biblical truth, I do believe it's okay to say we stand on foundations that we believe are right. And they're good. But you know what they are? They're life-giving to others, too. They're selfless. So James says we want to be careful that we're not finding ourselves as friends friendship with the world more than with God. My guess is if we look at the last two and a half years, how many times do we just get caught up in the ways of the world? And I'm not just saying those who don't like masks. Those who like masks got caught up in the ways of the world too. 
And we labeled and we fought. And we said, we're right, you're wrong, you're backwards, we're not. We became friends of the world because it became about boastful pride of life. Timothy write, or Paul writes to Timothy this, 2 Timothy chapter 2. He says this, Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments. <laughs> I love when he just gets right to it. Wouldn't that save us a lot of time if we just listened to that, just that? <laughs> because you know that they produce quarrels. The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, and not resentful. Would your friends label you this way? You're not quarrelsome. Friends, Jesus said this in John chapter 13, verse 35. Jesus said, The world will know you are my disciples by how you love one another. They will know you are my Christians by your love for one another. I believe we're called as a church to take this to heart. Would the world know that we're disciples of Jesus by the way we love each other? Would you say in the last two years they would look into our churches? They would look at how we've dealt with politics? They would look at how we've dealt with one another? And would they say like, oh, they must be Christians because they're displaying this great, beautiful display of love that we're not seeing anyone else, anywhere else. Would they say that about us? Or do you think we're missing 30% of the church? Because 30% maybe weren't Christian or maybe they're just saying, I can't be a part of this anymore. If this is what it means. The book of James is hard, isn't it? Because it means that we have this life we're called to that is for one another. And so the call for us today is, can we be for one another as Christians? And if we are, then can we also be for our city and our county and our state, many of whom don't know Jesus, don't want anything to do with Jesus? But what if we learn to love each other and actually serve our community with a heart for the lost to say, we want them to know what we have because this is the best way to live. And we were, had this greater call to the mission that Jesus gave us to go and make disciples. I just think that if 30% are gone, what if we start with reaching the 30% who were here two and a half years ago and brought them back into the fold? What if? So friends, we need to start praying. We need to start inviting. We need to start leaning in to the community around us. And let's do it together as we lean in with love for one another. The most powerful thing we could do for this world is show them the power of Jesus to bring healing and hope and mercy and grace. Would you stand with me as we pray and we respond with one final song? God, we pray that as we hear this truth today that I think every one of us can think of a moment Maybe we can think of a relationship. Maybe we can think of something that's happening even currently where we're saying, oh, we feel so convicted. And Lord, I, I pray that you take that conviction and, and don't turn it into burden or into law, but you turn it into freedom. Freedom to know that we fall on your grace. And Lord, that freedom to know that your spirit is enough in us to cause us, to give us the power to live differently. 
And Lord, the joy of walking with one another in love and with grace, Lord, we thank you for that today and pray that you would just permeate this place with a sense of your presence. And God, as we respond in prayer, would you reach to those who don't yet know you or wandered away and remind them of your great love. And Lord, invite us to be a part of that process. So we thank you and give you our hearts now in this last song. In your name, amen. I love that the truth is our lives are built on the firm foundation of Christ, not on any policies or government, not even on your local church. Our foundation is Jesus, and he never changes, so we have hope. Uh, as we end our time, I, I just want to say this, and I, and I mean it, that I'm actually, you know, we talked a lot about just the COVID season, but I look out here and I would say, I'm so proud to be a part of this church with you because I know that we represent a pretty big spectrum of beliefs and ways of going about even the last two years. And I think you modeled very well how to love one another. You really did. And yeah, we had some casualties on both sides. <laughs> But I think in general, I look at this church and say, I'm so glad I went through this season with this group and with the United Leadership Team through, even through saying, hey, we have some different perspectives, but we're gonna choose to love each other. So thank you for being who you are and for being a part of the community of faith together. Imperfectly, <laughs> we have our stumbles and we will again in the future and we do today committed to each other, and I'm so proud to be a part of that, so thank you. God, we thank you so much for this morning. I thank you for this community. And Lord, as we go, may we be reminded of that we are firmly planted in you. So God, would you empower us by your spirit to live and walk your ways in love for one another and in love for our community that more and more may know you as a savior, the hope of the world, the firm foundation. We thank you and give you this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, turn to the person you were saying hi to earlier. Go grab some coffee together, and uh, we'll see you next week.